Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. I should have said earlier, I'm Katie. My pronouns are she, her. I don't know why I forget to do that when I don't go first. I don't know what's up with that. I'm sorry. Um, I'm reading tonight from Colossians 3 because we are mm, working on halfway, a little more, through uh, our worship series where we're just reading through the epistle to the Colossians, reading every word and uh, trying to find the pieces of gospel within each of the parts of this extended argument that the Apostle Paul or someone mentored closely by Paul is making. Um, And so we began several weeks ago looking at a kind of theological statement about the whole world and all of us bound up together in God. And then we move from theology to Christology and an introduction through poetry to the cosmic Christ. From there, um, Josh took us through Paul's own introduction of self to the Christians in Colossae where he had not visited and people he had not actually met before. And then last week we talked about uh, Paul's description of the Colossian Christians as baptized people who have been set free from the esoteric demands of religious rigor by their immersion into the life and death and life again of the cosmic Christ through baptism. And now, tonight, as we move into chapter 3, we're moving into Paul's ethical exhortation, where he says, this is what it looks like, if all that stuff is true, when you live this way, as if it is, all of it, true. So, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. So, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self, with its practices, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, 
meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the parent through him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I think we can all agree that the most pressing question presented by the first half of Colossians chapter 3, the puzzle that must be solved before we can go on, the essential information that must be researched and imparted lest the whole project falter for lack of clarity is, who on God's green earth were the Scythians? Paul brings them up as if we all know them. In chapter 3, verse 11, he recites and expands a creedal formula about identity in Christ, the more succinct and famous version of which is found in Galatians 3, 28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. But here in Colossians, the traditional binaries of religio-ethnic identity, Jew or Greek, economic status, slave or free, and gender identity, male and female, or perhaps circumcised and uncircumcised, are expanded. Listen, Colossians 3.11, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. He's picking up that circumcision, no circumcision debate from chapter 2. That part is clear enough, and I think we have talked quite enough about penises for a little while. Amen? But he adds a couple of identities in there that are less clear. No longer barbarian, no longer Scythian, but Christ is all and in all. Those two, barbarian and Scythian, are not connected by and or or. So it's probably not a binary opposition like slave and free, Greek and Jew. It's more like he's just adding to the list. Here are some more folks who could get together with Christ and thus with us because Christ is all and in all. Now, another reason I'm saying that barbarians and Scythians are not presented as a pair of binary opposites is that basically Scythians were barbarians. And everybody back then knew about it. Okay, okay, not all Scythians. Okay, 
But throughout ancient history, the Scythians made a lot of trouble for a lot of people, people in the Bible and people not in the Bible. Back in the several hundreds BCE, they aligned themselves with the Assyrians. Just go ahead and hiss, Assyrians. To go on a militaristic world-conquering tour, including the knockdown and takeover of about three-quarters of Israel. They developed, the Scythians, they developed a reputation in geopolitical circles as mercenaries whose brutality could be useful as long as they were on your side. Herodotus, an historian and geographer in the 5th century BCE, wrote about Scythians in his histories, telling stories about their excessive use of alcohol and their use of hemp. Mm. Now, before you start thinking of them as the party people of the ancient world, Herodotus also reports that they were known for drinking the blood of their enemies, scalping their enemies, and using their skulls as soup bowls. Scythians were uh, hard to get along with. So imagine this. Paul has earlier painted this picture that elevates the local Jesus of Nazareth to the universal cosmic Christ. And he has said that all of creation is enveloped in Christ, contained in Christ, as God's saving move for everybody, everywhere. He has insisted that religious rigor on the part of each individual is unnecessary to earn God's favor. Our baptisms into Christ have set us free from the worry that we're not good enough or pious enough or clean enough to find a home in God's heart. And now, when it comes to life on the ground, this life, you know, that we're kind of slogging through every day, gravity bound by our persistent humanity, he makes an equally gigantic claim about that. He says, being in Christ is like, it's like defying gravity. It unbinds us from every base instinct that pulls us down. It liberates us from the heavy weight of our own hard-to-get-along-withness. And, he says, it even works for Scythians. Yes, the barbarian Scythians, who are nomads and day laborers, who are known to take the dirtiest jobs if the pay is right, the ones who, when you pass them on the street, you pull your children in close and keep your head down. Even Scythians can be part of the transformation of life on the ground that life in Christ affords. It's like a double-dog dare for the baptized into Christ community. It holds everyone, Paul says, even Scythians. Now, later on tonight, when we're taking communion together here in the barn and out there in your homes, there's going to be a question for reflection on the screen and in the chat. It's really an invitation tonight to rewrite Colossians 3.11 the way you would write it. You know, in Christ there is no longer this or that, us or them. If you wanted to double-dog dare a community like ours to test the power of the cosmic Christ to bring all people together, well, what would you write? I.e., who is your Scythian? Who is the kind of human you just cannot tolerate? Who has brought pain to your history 
Who carries in their person a legacy of violence or hatred or thieving or disloyalty? Who is most dangerous for our life together? Paul says, oh yeah, even them. This life is big enough for them too. But look, it's not magic. I mean, none of us, Scythian or otherwise, comes through our baptism instantly and permanently virtuous. You know what I mean? I mean, Paul knows that it's decisional every day, kind of like what you're going to wear. Decisional as we practice the way of life that being in Christ makes possible. Not just Scythians, but all of us are bound up in this evolutionary biology that makes us seek advantage and grab power, makes us want what we want for our own gratification. That biology, well, it makes us want sex, for one thing, for sure. But it's more than just pheromones and that Lee Pace GQ photo spread that's trending on Twitter. Have you seen it? I mean, I spent a little time there, I'll admit it. It's the psychology of scarcity, though. It's the the real-world, everyday sense that we might need more than we're getting. We hunger and thirst for more. We want what is not ours to want. We want what seems good for us without always thinking about what's good for anybody else. And Paul says that is a real buzzkill when it comes to Christian community. You're just not going to be able to do it to really live into your baptized life in Christ if you keep feeding this hunger for more. So there's this list of vices in verse 5 of this chapter, the one about fornication and desire and basically everything sex. (laughs) And the church of my youth spent a lot of time pulling that list apart, trying to figure out which things precisely were forbidden to each of us individually. Honestly, it just seems safer in the absence of perfect clarity about ancient Greek vocabulary to shut down any thought of sex, to feel terribly terrible when that did not work and our bodies did not obey our minds. But church, if I could talk to my younger self, steeped in individualistic purity culture, stinking with the adolescent flop sweat of shame and fear, I would say, I would say, Katie Bug, it's not a list of precise behaviors, specific lines that must not be crossed lest your virginal purity be spoilt. Rather, taken all together, this is a list, this is less of a list than a way of life that will botch the Christian project of people doing life together. This is a communal ethic of practice. The practice of not wanting what's not yours to want, of not manipulating anybody or any situation to get more than your share. Hear it again, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthbound. Fornication, porneia is the word in Greek there. It just means all the ways that sex can be cheapened and exploitative and bad for the people involved. Impurity, passion, just wanting, wanting, overcome by wanting. Evil desire, greed, hmm? greed is in that list, which is idolatry, the apostle says, meaning that you want something more than you want what God wants. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
And I know, I know that I said just last week that the cosmic Christ does not rescue us from God's wrath, but rather shows us that God is not wrathful. <laughs> I know. And here it says, the wrath of God is coming on account of these. I think here that Paul is saying, it doesn't mean that nothing displeases God. I mean, if what, God's want, if what God wants is for all the divisions and hierarchies between people to be drowned in the water of baptism, if what God wants is all the raised with Christ people doing life together in Jesus' name, then yeah, God is going to be pissed if you keep on living in a way that takes more than it gives, that wants more than its share, that shows so little regard for the other person, that wakes up every day thinking about how to get more and more and more. Because that is no way to live, not when you're in Christ and not when you are living this life together. Have you ever been part of a church community or really any community where someone was always trying to work things to their advantage? Where some guy was creeping on women or on men, flirting in a skeezy way that made the other person feel small and unsafe and completely took their mind off of joy of life in Christ and then crash them to the ground in a disappointed heat because it turns out it's just the same in here as it is out there? Have you ever been part of a church community where someone else was just there trying to get leads for their business or sell their stuff or get more followers on their Insta like Sunday worship was a giant networking opportunity? I have. I don't ever want to do that again. There's another list of vices in verses 8 and 9. But now it says, now you must get rid of all such things. And now it's not a very sexy list. You must get rid of all such things. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language from your mouth. Don't lie to each other either. And I've been playing with the idea that maybe this is not a, a second distinct list, but maybe, maybe this is a recognition of the tactics by which we feed our habit of wanting and even getting what is not ours to have. We talk ugly. We do violence, not like Scythian-level barbarity, but real violence with our voices. We talk about other people instead of talking with them or listening even. We say mean stuff without much of a filter. We speak into our communal life our insistence that someone else is low, which makes us feel high by comparison. And we stratify and rank each other in our conversations. No weapons, no blood necessary for this kind of territorial takeover. We want it, and we use our words to get it. Just don't, Paul says. Just don't do that to each other. Christ is in all. Christ is all, even Scythians, even you. Another way to think about it, the text says, is that you got to strip down to your birthday suit to get baptized. Colossians 3.9, you have stripped off the old self with its practices. You know, there's some evidence that early Christian baptism was done in the nude, very much like the ritual baths of Judaism. The mikvahs were meant for full body cleansing and required undressing. You're naked when you're born, so it would make sense to be naked when you're born again. Don't get excited. We are not going to have any nude baptisms in here anytime soon. But the metaphor works, right? I mean, you shuck off the trappings of your old way of being. You come to Christ in vulnerability and transparency. And you say, this is me. This is all of me. 
And in a way, there is no more vulnerable practice than baptism, even when you're fully dressed, because everybody's looking at you, and you got wet clothes clinging to all your nooks and crannies, and everybody knows that you have discovered the impossibility of saving yourself. Everybody knows. But then, Paul says, you get new clothes. You come out of the water, and you clothe yourself in a new self. And this is what those duds look like. This is chapter 3, verses 12, 13, 14. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together. It pulls the whole outfit together in perfect harmony. I have never been part of a church that understood as well as Galileo Church does that new clothes can change everything. When you shrug out of that old stuff, the stuff that you wore in hopes of blending in, in hopes of not being discovered, in hopes of keeping your secret, it's very freeing. When you put on the clothes that match the person you are on the inside, the sparkles and the skirts, the crop tops and the motorcycle boots, whatever it is that signals to the world that you are who you are, well, that's gorgeous. That's why Finn's Place had a clothing exchange a couple weekends ago for trans and gender diverse folks. That's why they did a catwalk for TikTok because it feels so amazing to look so good, to express to the world the beauty that you've been keeping hidden inside. And I think it can work the other way too. You can choose clothing for your outside that helps you feel more like the person you want to be inside. Dress for the job you want, the college career counselor says. When it comes to the Christian clothing of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, forbearance, and forgiveness, is it an outward expression of who you really are on the inside? Or is it an aspirational expression of who you want to be? Some of both, probably. Some of both. Because we've all got a little Scythian blood running in our veins. We are all of us hungry, all of us hunting, all of us doing violence with our minds and our mouths, at least sometimes. Yes, we are in Christ and Christ in us, but we are earthbound still, pulled down by the gravity of our humanity, doing our best, still fucking up. So we get up every day and get dressed again. We put on the clothes the compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, forbearing, forgiving clothes of love. We don't just say we love each other. It's not an idea. It's a practice. We practice love. We get dressed for love. We wear love on our sleeves. By the end of this section, Paul is describing how when we all get together as a church, we should sing together. It feels kind of random. We're going to be doing that in just a second. To me, though, it's not that random. I mean, it's really all of a piece. Singing is a, a vulnerable practice, right? I mean, people can hear you. 
And it's a communal practice, right? Because we're doing it all together, all at the same time. We speak one at a time. We sing all at the same time. I think you've got to be dressed right to do it well. I wonder if Scythians could sing. I mean, probably not all Scythians. But I wonder if their culture allowed for that kind of camaraderie, the vulnerable practice of joining voices across difference to say the same thing at the same time. I guess if they were in Christ, clothed in Christ, they could, just like us. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.